A reading from the prophet Jeremiah. In the days of Josiah, the word of the Lord was addressed to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came to birth, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as prophet to the nations. So now, brace yourself for action. Stand up and tell them all I command you. Do not be dismayed at their presence, or in their presence I will make you dismayed. I, for my part, today will make you into a fortified city, a pillar of iron and a wall of bronze to confront all this land. The kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and the country people, they will fight against you, but shall not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you. It is the Lord who speaks. The word of the Lord. Report me from my youth and 
reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Be ambitious for the higher gifts, and I am going to show you a way that is better than any of them. If I have all the eloquence of men or of angels, but I speak without love, I am simply a gong booming or a cymbal clashing. If I have the gift of prophecy, understanding all the mysteries there are, but knowing everything. And if I have faith in all its fullness to move mountains, but without love, then I am nothing at all. If I give away all that I possess piece by piece, and if I even let them take my body to burn it, but am without love, it will do me no good whatever. Love is always patient and kind, it is never jealous. Love is never boastful or conceited. It is never rude or selfish. It does not take offense and it is not resentful. Love takes no pleasure in other people's sins, but delights in the truth. It is always ready to excuse, to trust, to hope, and to endure whatever comes. Love does not come to an end. But if there are gifts of prophecy, the time will come when they must fail. Or the gift of languages, it will not continue forever. And knowledge, for this too, the time will come when it must fail. For our knowledge is imperfect, and our prophesying is imperfect. But once perfection comes, all imperfect things will disappear. When I was a child, I used to talk like a child, and think like a child, and argue like a child, but now I am a man. All childish ways are put behind me. Now we are seeing a dim reflection in a mirror, but then we shall be seen face to face. The knowledge that I have now is imperfect, but then I shall know as fully as I am known. In short, there are three things that last, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord.
with you. And with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus began to speak in the synagogue. This text is being fulfilled today even as you listen. And he won the approval of all, and they were astonished by the gracious words that came from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, surely. But he replied, no doubt you will quote me the saying, physician, heal yourself and tell me, we have heard all that happened in Capernaum. Do the same here in your own countryside. And he went on, I tell you solemnly, no prophet is ever accepted in his own country. There were many widows in Israel, I can assure you, in Elijah's day, when heaven remained shut for three years and six months, and a great famine raged throughout the land. But Elijah was not sent to any one of the, these. He was sent to a widow at Zarephath, a Sidonian town. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many lepers in Israel, but none of these was cured except the Syrian Naaman. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They sprang to their feet and hustled him out of the town, and they took him up to the brow of the hill the town was built on, intending to throw him down the cliff. But he slipped through the crowd and walked away. The Gospel of the Lord. There has been a tradition at Downside that there should be a crucifix in every classroom. And if you think about that tradition, it's a very strange one. Crucifixion was the worst form of death that Romans could devise. And if you know anything about Romans, that's saying something. It was a complete humiliation. The victim died of shock, trauma, exposure, intense pain, blood loss, and asphyxiation. Before all that went the horror of knowing what was going to happen to you. And your executioners could time precisely the moment of your death, either hastening or extending the agony. 
In the first centuries of the church, the crucifixion was not depicted, and no wonder. So why do we think it makes sense to have a crucifix in a classroom? If you look around our country generally, you won't see many crucifixes. When the cross is shown, it's often bare, without Jesus' body hanging on it. People have many good reasons for recoiling from the crucifix. And here's another puzzle to think over. Jesus' sermon in the Gospel, which he bases on a text from Isaiah, is received at first with delight. He won the approval of all, and they were astonished by the gracious words that came from his lips. And then his friends and relations in Nazareth begin to think, what's special about Jesus? We have known him and his family all our life. He's only one of us. So the delighted admiration ebbs away fast, especially when Jesus tells his own people that God has a habit of helping pagans and outsiders in preference to those who think they should be in the inner circle, the recipients of special favours. Astonished admiration gives way to murderous rage. Within minutes, the people who'd been delighted by Jesus want to break him to pieces by hurling him off a cliff. How did that happen? Jordan Peterson, whom many of you will probably know, has called the crucifixion of Jesus a limit story. It's a limit because it's not possible to devise any greater dramatic narrative. It's ultimate. Jesus is God, the Father's beloved and only child, his Son. Jesus comes as God's final supreme emissary to heal and to forgive our sins, to show us how God loves us in spite of our cruelty to one another. Simple people are delighted by Jesus, his healing and his teaching. But the religious authorities, those who think they know all about God, reject him. For them, he's too dangerous. He will upset the order they have achieved and transform it into what is, from their point of view, chaos. One of Jesus' closest friends betrays him for 30 pieces of silver, a moderate sum of money. And his disciples, who shared his life, witnessed his miracles and loved his teaching, run away, leaving him to his fate. Pilate, who represents political authority, is completely cynical. He knows Jesus is innocent, but explores whether having him subjected to scourging might elicit sympathy from his persecutors. 
that doesn't work. So Pilate decides to forget justice and he hands him over to the mob for crucifixion. And Pilate, the representative of world order, admits that he doesn't know what truth is. And the mob, when asked to choose between a known violent criminal and Jesus, who is innocent, decide to choose the violent criminal. So the best person we could possibly imagine, the ultimate expression of God's love for us, is subject to rejection and to the worst fate we can possibly devise. So who would ever want to look at a depiction of that? It's an axiom of clinical psychology that the only effective way of coping with fear and dread, with phobia, is to look voluntarily at the thing that frightens you most. Because what you most need to know the one thing that can help you is going to be found in the place that you least want to look. And somehow we all know that's true. St Thomas Aquinas, whose feast we kept last Friday, tells us to look at the cross because it will teach us everything we need to know perfectly. The cross will teach us to despise what Jesus despised and to desire what he desired. The cross teaches us love because no one has greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friends. It teaches us endurance and forgiveness, humility and obedience to God the Father's will freedom from possessions and from the desire for honours. Some years ago I came to know in Chile Juanito, a child who was suffering from leukaemia. He showed me the crucifix, a full crucifix, his grandfather had given him and which he took with him each time he went for his chemotherapy. He spent his time in prayer, praying for other children whose sufferings, he said, were worse than his. He was six years old, and I was sixty, but Juanito taught me things about the love of God that I'd never really understood before. Now, when I look at a crucifix, I recognise that I'm frightened of suffering and death. But I also begin to see that I might be still more frightened of the transforming love of God that opens us to eternal life. And that makes me think of Jesus' prayer on the night before he suffered. Father, I have given them the glory you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one. When you're next close to a classroom, possibly in the classroom, when you're next close to a crucifix, possibly in your classroom, well, try not to look away from it, 
but to look at it freely and willingly and ask to be taught its message of suffering, love and eternal life. And if today you can find a few spare minutes, read the second reading we heard once more, sitting before a crucifix, and see what will be revealed to you.